think it's important for people to understand that, yes, mindset's huge. And I think there's a lot of people that talk about mindset, mindset. You got to have positivity. But it's through increasing your awareness. And the only way you can increase your awareness, Yona, is through life experiences Mm -hmm. and really just indebting your mind towards positivity and positioning yourself. But yeah, mindset's huge. You got to live with confidence. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host as always, Yona Weiss. Excited to be here on another beautiful day together with Jerome Maldonado. Excited to have you on the show today, Jerome. How are you doing this morning? Yona, I'm doing well and I'm excited to be on the show. It's good to see you, man. Likewise, I'm excited to finally get the chance. I know we've been back and forth quite a bit and it's, you know, everyone's schedule is busy these days. You know, thank God every business is booming. I'm sure. I know you guys have closed on a few properties lately and, you know, just love to hear, hear a little more of your backstory for our audience who's not familiar with you. I know you've been in, in business and in real estate business for a couple of decades and done amazing things and continue to grow in different ways. So if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little background where your journey started and and where you're up to now. Sure. So, Yona, I started off as just a general entrepreneur and I didn't even know what the word meant actually. You know, So when I say I started off as a general entrepreneur, I started off in multi-level marketing, selling (laughs) water filters and vitamins back in the 90s and the early 90s. That's what an entrepreneur used to look like. Oh no, you froze there for a second. Okay, let's see yeah. if we can unmute you. You froze there for a second. Hopefully, hopefully my <laughs> editors will, will take care of that. So, take go. Care of that. so in 1997, I, I was in, in an unfortunate circumstance where the FTC came in regulating multi-level marketing companies. We were one that was shut down. And I landed up back in college. I was in pharmacy school back in the early 90s. And I left one year shy of graduating. And I went and pursued network marketing, multi-level marketing. My parents were disappointed. It was, you know, they were shocked that I left. And I figured, what better time to go back? And I I almost went back. I felt like a failure when I went back because I felt like, you know, the ground had fallen in underneath me. And it was like my last resort. You know, most people go to college as their first resort. And I went back to college as my last resort going, oh, my God, I better have something to fall back on. And in 1998, I opened up a small concrete company while I was in college. And we were doing also drywall and metal stud framing. I didn't know much about construction, but I knew how to market a business. And I really did it to help my brother-in-law. And we started actually making some money. We got a contract with, and I shouldn't say we, I got a contract. He was working for me, was supposed to partner with me, but didn't. But didn't. And rightfully so, we we went in and I, uh, I got a contract with Compass Bank, uh, moving into the New Mexico market. And we did extremely well with it. I had an attitude back then of I had really nothing to lose and everything to gain. And right. uh, I really went in like that. And I made some money. And I started investing that little bit of money that I was making into this little single family rental homes. And um, from that, we've made a lot of changes, a lot of adjustments and migrated in a lot of different areas. And we've evolved substantially since then and, and into what we're doing today. 
I'd love to learn about some of those transitions and some of those involvements, because obviously when you're moving and transitioning into like a new space, like opening up this business or that business or this thing at the time, right? It seems like the best option. And it usually, in my experience, has to do with just change of markets or change of demand and things like that, that, that make you change. But I'd love it if you could go back and just walk us through a couple of those instances where you actually did have to make some major changes. And even to recently, because I know more recently, you got a lot more full-time into the larger multifamily and, and that kind of space. Yeah. Market trends have definitely changed and pushed us and made, made us migrate. A lot of the changes that I made haven't been by choice. Always by choice, I guess. It was by choice. It were methodical choices, but initially moving into them, they weren't by choice. I was right. kind of forced into making decisions that pushed me into making bigger changes. And 1998 was one of them. I got into the single family home space. We were in a light recession back in the late 90s. People told me I was crazy for opening up a business during a recession. And I didn't know any different. I just figured I was making money and it was more than nothing. And so I just, I worked my way through it and it was a great time to open up a business. Obviously we were successful. That business is still in business and I still run, own it and facilitate it every day. And so that was a big change going from selling water filters and vitamins to concrete and drywall, right? I mean, that was a huge change. I never, Yona, I never thought I'd be in the business this long. I was always looking for a way out of the business. In fact, I thought that construction was just a blue collar field. It was Mm -hmm. made for people that were uneducated. And that's what my parents taught me. And I've since learned otherwise, right? And I was ashamed to tell people what I did in all honesty for a good amount of time. And in spite of making millions of dollars, I was still embarrassed to tell people what I did. But I got into building homes. I saw a gentleman that was very uh, clean cut and well put together building homes next to what we were pouring a foundation for a client one day. Mm-hmm. And I got to, I took captive note of what he was doing and I went and talked to him. And a lot of success comes from just watching people and then implementing something that they're doing and moving with it. That was a big piece for me. I went in and I modeled almost identical to what he was doing, two lots over. And I built one house and it was so profitable, Yona, that I, I did another one. And I, in fact, I bought two lots and did two of them. And at the exact same time, kind of simultaneously, like most entrepreneurs, we all, our heads, our minds are always going. So one of the big, big changes that really moved me into the commercial real estate sector wasn't a choice. I never really considered myself a real estate professional. I just utilized real estate as a means to grow and it created assets and residual income because in direct sales and network marketing, that's what you build. That's what you're taught. And that's what you're mentored into is the residual income basis. So I was always looking for that. I was always looking for something that produced income in spite of me working. And real estate was that. And I, so at the same time, I was forced out of my home and I bought a little retail center to put my business in. And I wanted a bigger center than I, I needed and a bigger piece of property because I knew I could rent it. When I was right. in direct sales, I was renting desk space to sales distributors that were in the business. And that's really how I made a, a living at first. And what well, didn't make it through my distributorship and network marketing. So I used the same concept I learned in direct sales, running sales centers in training centers in direct sales with a retail center. And I just got a retail center it was bigger than I needed. I took a little office space. I took the yard in the back and I released the rest out and it was successful. It took me about six months and that was my first introduction to what was what's called today value add. And I didn't even know that was value add. And so I did retail centers. I started buying old buildings. I renovated them. I started building new retail centers. 
And in 2008, I got smashed, Yona. And at the time, they were big projects to me because I was self-funding them. What I mean by self-funding, I was using traditional lending. I wasn't mm-hmm. raising capital. I was using my own money to put, utilize as down payments to right. secure the loans, buy the land, the whole nine yards. And so I wasn't, I didn't know anything about capital raising at that time. And so I had an $8 million office condo complex going in. It was 38,000 square feet. That was huge for me back in 2008. And I had another uh, 24,000 square foot retail center. Plus I had homes going up. I had a, a, about a dozen homes under construction or for sale. And we had the construction company. And 2008 came. And in spite of my better judgment, I knew something was going to happen. But you go into denial. Yeah. You don't believe it's going to affect you. You don't believe it's going to happen to you. And even if it does happen to you, you don't believe it's going to be as bad as people make it out to be. Right. And so... We got smashed in 2000, November of 2008. I really felt it. Banks compressed on me. They halted construction loans. I had to self-fund completion of properties. I had to find ways to get creative to pay loans. And thank God we had a nest egg of capital that was larger than most, but that money goes quick. Mm-hmm. And so we 2009, it took me into 2009. April of 2009 was a big movement for us. We started making profits again with our construction company, small ones. First time since 1998 that we uh, hadn't made profits. And we got it, went into Arizona. I went and visited five markets. I went and visited Florida, New York. I went and visited Las Vegas, Nevada, California, and Arizona. And for different reasons, I didn't go into the other four markets, but Phoenix made the most sense for me in the yeah. Southwest. And I went to Phoenix and I was buying uh, to get out of the dilemma I was in, I had to buy more real estate. You would think the opposite, right? <laughs> Most people would sit back and go, okay, I'm, I'm stuck in all this real estate. All, right. all this vacant land that I was going to build houses on is no longer any good. There was no construction going on, literally. Going to into Home Depot those days, it was a ghost town. So very temperature taking. I remember walking to Home Depot thinking, good gosh, I wish there was something I had to buy today to go out and facilitate and put into a job site. And it was literally that bad. And so I remember being in Tolleson, Arizona, jumping up on a block wall at a dusk. It was dusk and I jumped up on a block wall. And this was the reality, the real life reality to me of what we were encountering. And this was about April or May of 2009. And as the sun set, I just looked, I looked on that, I got up on the block masonry wall and I looked and it was black. And we're talking, we're in a subdivision that was newly built. It was like, I don't remember who the builder was, but it was like one of the DR Horton or Pulte subdivisions that it's a master plan community and hundreds of homes. Okay. Cookie cutter next door, just bam, 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 bam. All new construction. The subdivision was only about two years old. So it was all new. And I jump up on this wall and it's black for like a full street. Then you see one light. Then you see like 11 homes and another light. And it was dawning on me that at that moment, that entire subdivision that was once alive just a few months prior was completely empty with the exception of a handful of homes. It was unbelievable. And we were buying these homes that were selling for $290,000 for $70,000 sight unseen. And we went in and started buying older homes for like $25,000, $35,000 sight unseen. And we were renting them for $900 to $1,100 a month. And I picked up, I happened to pick up 12 of them over the course of about a year. And then I started buying little fourplexes for like $40,000 a piece. Wow. And I was renting them for five, $600 rent. I accumulated 64 units over two years. And the whole entire portfolio of 64 units plus the 12 homes cost me 
under a million dollars. That's amazing. And so I was selling off homes at discounted prices back home that were new construction homes. I was taking that capital and stuffing it right back into real estate. And we were opening up subway stores in our empty buildings. I was opening up beauty salons that we owned in our empty buildings. And this is kind of the unique nature of an entrepreneur, right? And I never, I was in survival mode. Yeah, you, um, you was, were able to ride the wave. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. A lot of people drowned, literally. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you got to be, you got to be a worker to some degree and as humbling as it is, you got to find a means. And my means was to invest more. Most people could retract. And I think that's what happens to them is they retract from things. And that's when they pull away and they retract, they lose. We invested more um, mm. and I continue to invest more. I went in and I, I started investing into subway stores and I literally started putting them into our buildings. And I wasn't looking for the revenue from the store, although it helped substantially, but we were looking for the leases. Yeah. And so, traffic, you know, it drives traffic. Yeah, traffic. We wanted the, the life, you know, that's what, that was the means behind the beauty salons. I went and became an Aveda certified, not beautician, but a Aveda certified salon owner. And we had biolage products and I became, I found out about the, the beauty salon business, but it was an, a simple business that I was able to put in and we were able to generate a little over eight to $12,000 per month in net revenue per location. It helped us service debt and we were able to sell off our subway stores over the course of time and our uh, beauty salons over the course of time to beauticians and other franchisees. And ultimately we wanted the rent, we mm. wanted the leases, but it took almost a decade. Yona. So it doesn't like when I tell the story, it's not like, Hey, this happened overnight. It was literally a, a business model that took us anywhere between eight and 10 years to really fully exercise. Right. And it, so that was a big change. And then after getting bloodied up, Literally in 2016, I felt like I was stagnant and I sat back and I go, okay, I got to make a change. I felt like I've literally worked from 2008 to 2016 just to stay alive and, and maintain my asset base. Mm -hmm. And I was frustrated because I was working hard. I was making big money, you know, compared to most people in the construction business, but it wasn't going to anything other than maintaining the mess that we had created. Um, and in spite of not losing any real estate or anything, I felt like we lost time. I was disappointed that I have, wasn't further ahead than I, I felt like I should be. So I, I made a conscious decision in 2016 to make some changes and didn't make a lot of changes immediately. But in 2016, I bought two apartment complexes, didn't know anything about the multifamily space. I just, I invested in them because I knew there was more doors. It, by this time, I knew that there was that there was money in scale. I had an opportunity to sell my portfolio in Phoenix. And I had first time I ever really exercised a true 1031 exchange. And so I went to pound the concrete out in the Phoenix area to see what was available. Landed up buying an 84 unit apartment complex that I bought for just shy of $8 million. I paid $7.8 million for it. It was an off-market property that I bought from the Orion Group down in Phoenix back then. Gentleman named Joe Deeds helped me out with a purchase, sent me over to it. It was a little bone he threw me. And I love the property. When I saw it, the second I saw it, I was looking at garbage all day. And I, I went in, I saw it and I loved it. And so we put in an offer and they took it and we worked out some terms and it was an off-market deal. And it was through relationships and a lot of pounding the concrete that we found it. And I was able to exercise a 1031 exchange, sold off my portfolio. Anybody who lives in Phoenix that knows where the 202 and 44th Street and 40th Street are, mm -hmm. all that garbage, all those fourplexes right there, those were all mine. <laughs> I sold that stuff. <laughs> now they're worth like 10 times as much probably. Yeah. Now that I just added, a, we just did a cash out refi and that property is worth $14 million now. 
Wow. And I uh, turned a $650,000 investment into just shy of $15 million and uh, no more, no additional money out of my own pocket. So pretty, pretty incredible. So in spite of me feeling like I wasn't going no place, just that one story, that one property masked me from 600000 to a $14 million asset. And you're the cost segregation king. So you know what I've done with that property. And I've been able to do some cash out refis and and I bought a second property in 2016. That was another 65 unit. I still own both of those. Oh, wow. And I never sold them. I've done some cash out refis. I build portfolios. I buy to hold. And then I got into building them just like I did before. And so I'm a multifamily developer. We moved into that space in 2018. We've worked in distressed assets, repositioning distressed assets into multifamily. And we're buying raw land and we're mm-hmm. developing multifamily. And it's been a very interesting, fun, and profitable little ride in the multifamily space. There's a lot There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, you went through a lot of different transitions. And I'm just curious, one question that just jumped into my head right now, which I'm curious because you know, you've held these properties since 2016. You've literally seen them double in value from, I mean, the Phoenix market has just been on fire. Are you like getting constantly like bombarded by people wanting to buy those properties from you? Yeah, we get a lot of people. We, I'll be honest, you know, you know, I have been on those properties literally a dozen times since I bought them. I think I go by, they're kind of off the beaten path, and you know, so I don't go to them regularly. Like I'll be out there tomorrow, I won't even go by them. I'll go by really like twice a year to uh, just make sure the property management company is doing their job. The grass is green, sprinklers are working, landscaping isn't beat up, and the stucco is not falling off the building. And we've done some capital improvements, probably about time to do a little bit more capital improvements, but because it's been, you know, since 2016, since we've really done anything to the properties. But yeah, we've had people inquire and we do. I wish they'd inquire about my retail. I still own 11 retail buildings that I wish they'd inquire about as much as they do the multifamily. <laughs> <laughs> Those haven't doubled in value, but they still cash flow. Right. So yeah, we have been bombarded. But you know what? I'll tell you, if you understand the real estate game, I understand why people that are... Um, doing asset management and they're doing syndications to get into the business. I understand why they sell. I don't really have a a reason to sell. I own the properties. I'm the sole owner of them through LLCs and I don't have any partners. I don't have any investors in them. I don't really have a reason to sell them, you know? And that's my whole thing is that, and even these developments that we're doing, we have a little business model where I got one partner in all of them and they, they just cash flow well. We bring in investors to help us with the, take down the acquisitions, but we don't tip, we refinance and get invest, the investors out over time. Oh, wow. and, you know, so we're planning on, we build them and hold them. That's great. Uh, not, we don't have really a, a purpose to sell them at this point in our life at some point, maybe, but I really just build and hold. No, that's a great model. I mean, uh, there are so many people that are doing the syndication model and you're absolutely right. When you have investors and you're promising them a, a certain amount of return or projecting to them, you need to either you know get those returns to them by selling the property or like you said at least you know refinancing and buying them out which isn't yep. necessarily the what i've seen is the typical most common model that people will do so obviously if you're a sole owner or you just have a partner the real estate is a wealth building machine so the longer oh you hold God, it, it the long, longer more you'll have yeah yeah yeah, it sure is. I, I'll tell you, you know, here's my experience with real estate. And I think it's really important that people understand this. They hear it, but they don't really understand it from a perspective where someone's lived it. And one thing that 
I've always heard was scale, go big, go big, mm-hmm. go big, go big, yeah. go big. People don't understand why. And I've owned the small stuff. I've owned the, the I've owned the single family residential homes. I've owned the retail centers that are like 20,000 square feet. Like everything that we're building now has to be over a hundred units. And now we're actually moving into everything has to be over 200 units now. So the two properties that we're building now, one's 201 units and one's 285 units. We're trying to come out of dirt with those two. And we're even staying away from the hundred unit stuff because we realized that it's just as hard to build 200 units as it is to build 10 units. Mm. And so 10 units is a great place to start cognitively, to get in the game mentally, to educate yourself. And then it's a great place to get the hell out of fast. And the reason why is people think that it's safe. And I always hear this. I hear this a lot. I hear, well, maybe I just get in because it's safe. And then I'll tell people to go big and I'll explain why, but they don't listen to me. They hear me, but they don't listen to me. Mm. And then they start migrating back. And I always go back to why, like why 10 or why four units or why six units? Well, it feels safe. It's safe. It's safe. It's safe right. Easier and, and I safer. Go, yeah. And I go, it's not. I lived that in 2008. And that small stuff is brutal because when you lose a tenant, you feel it. Like if I lose a tenant in a 200 unit building, I don't feel it. You know, uh, if I lose five tenants, I really don't feel it. It has so much income capacity to it that right. even through a compression, if we, if we reduced, if we lost 10% of our tenants, we're still okay. Where you lose tenants in a building that you have four or five of them, you're filling it and you start servicing debt really quick. And so as safe as it might feel to go small, uh, once you really understand it, I tell people small is a great place to start, but a great place to get out of quickly. And their safety in in larger numbers um, is crazy. It might seem to some people mentally, it is a hundred percent the truth. And you got to get out of that small stuff and you got to migrate into something larger quick because you will be protected financially in scale. Yeah. I'd love to get into a little bit of your mindset, you know, because I know you're doing a lot of coaching, you're doing things like that, helping people out and you've successfully, you know, built your businesses and done this through, you know, through the turmoil, through those challenging situations. But I know, and I just want to hear from you, but it has a lot to do with your mindset. It has a lot to do with where your mind is focused and that focused energy. So speak to me as if I'm, you know, one of your students, our listeners are out there and just give them some advice and some, some ways to, to succeed. Yeah, a mindset is is a big, big, big piece of it. I was fortunate enough to meet some great mentors in my young 20s while I was in college, and I scrubbed my mind. I was immersed myself. In fact, when I coach people, Yona, I get people that have been in the business, they've been successful. And in spite of that, I tell them, you know, look, we have 12 weeks worth of online education that we do personal coaching with them. And a lot of it's for me to raise capital and build relationships. That's the whole means behind our educational platform is really a networking platform, but we have to make money doing it because there's expense behind it. There's employees, there's staff, there's back office. So there's a business behind every business Right. and there's a method to it. But I always tell people that first week I go through 10 modules and it's hundred percent mindset. There was one training that I went to back in 1993 and I went to it a second time in 1995 and it was called Journey Beyond Perception. I paid $2,500 to go to that training when I was just a young kid. And that was a lot of money for me. And it was at the Scottsdale Princess Resort. And I remember going and it, I felt like royalty there because I never stayed in a hotel that nice before back when I was just a kid. And I have a heart space for that place because it was a mentally changing experience. It was a one-week training 
you li- you stayed there and it go took you back to birth. And it was a training that literally takes you back mentally to birth and it goes through steps of your life as you progress into childhood, it is an infant, into childhood, into adolescence, into adulthood. And it takes you through family experiences, parental experiences, or the lack thereof. And it talks about, it talks about uh, different personality types. And really what it does is it focuses on who you are first and you figure out who you are. And then it teaches you about other people. Like four days into the training, you start learning about other people. And then you learn how, who you are, how to understand how you are, and then how to better understand other people and how you can relate your personality and who you are and the things you went through in life to better understand other people. And then from that, you're able to go out and do business, right? You're able to facilitate a better life. That training, that training was life-changing for me because, and the, the reason I took it a second time is because I was so mentally involved in it the first time I benefited from it. But the second time was like an epiphany because I really understood it more because I knew what to expect and I think that's the training, in all honesty, that really set my mindset. Anytime we're all human, we're mm-hmm. not like, it isn't like this thing that we're just wired mentally prepared for business. We're not wired to be mentally prepared to handle negativity. And some people manage it better. And now people manage it better. Some people manage it better than others, but we weren't just wired to just innately know and handle it better right it's through awareness right and so i think it's important for people to understand that yes mindset's huge and i think there's a lot of people that talk about mindset mindset you got to have positivity but it's through increasing your awareness and the only way you can increase your awareness yona is through life experiences Mm -hmm. and really just in indebting your mind towards positivity and position yourself. But yeah, mindset's huge. You got to live with confidence. I talk to my kids about this all the time. They're subjected to the external (laughs) world, right? So we got to mitigate that stuff and we got to pick and choose. Like there's days that we all encounter so much negativity. And so you got to come wash that stuff and know what to let in and what to let out. My wife always tells me, Jerome, you live in like your own little world. I said, I know. I love my own little world, you know. (laughs) So that's part of why I'm able to do what I do is because I do live in this little artificial world that I've created mentally in my brain, in my head. And I choose what I extract. I choose what I allow to get to me emotionally and what I choose not to. And I've, I've gotten really good at it. And sometimes people think it's you're cold and not cold in a way where it's bad, but cold in a way where I just don't let the external world really affect my, like, I don't know what's going on with monkeypox and coronavirus. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on with Biden and Trump. And I don't know about that stuff. I just know the corporations are functioning on the future. And so am I. And that's where I focus my energy. Gotcha. Well, yeah, it takes a lot of introspection, like you said, and awareness, you know, that emotional intelligence, just to be aware of what's going on with yourself in order to interact with other people and be, especially in the business world. I mean, like you said earlier, sales is really the core of everything and marketing and all business really centers around that, but those center more on you know the human interaction than anything else. And so yep. if you can succeed in breaking that and understanding that by understanding yourself first, I think you'll be successful. That's my take on it. But I do want to transition now, Jerome, to what we call the final four These are four questions I ask all my guests. First question to you is, what is the worst job that you ever had? You know, when I came back from network marketing and I was like lost, 
I answered an ad in the newspaper because the internet was still brand new back then. It had only been invented two years prior. I picked up a little handyman job part-time for a second just to make some money when I came back to town to finish my college degree. And the guy threw me on roofs changing out pads on evaporative coolers on air conditioners. And I remember sitting up there that day. It was about 100 degrees outside. I was sweating like a pig. And I was changing out these pads on these air conditioners. This guy owned rental homes. And I just felt like I failed. I literally felt like I was just making 20 grand a month and I'm working for minimum wage, changing pads out on evaporative coolers. That job only lasted one day, Yona. (laughs) I can imagine. I sat on a roof of a house just like in disbelief, right? Like I just like, what got me on this roof? Like really, um, this is what I've, it's come to, right? And I just... That was the day I decided like, there's no more. Like, I'm not going to be the guy on the roof. I'm going to be the guy owning the roofs. And I I honestly, my mindset changed that day from being the guy on the roof. I was like, this guy's a clown that's hired me. And if he can do this and own these, I can get some of these too. And that was the worst job I've ever had. It was like an epiphany that day. I said, no more. I'm going to work to never have to ever be on a roof like this ever again. You know, never subject myself to working for minimum wage. That was the worst job I've ever had. And it was probably the biggest pivot mentally that I ever had to really push myself to to move forward on something more successful. Well, that's awesome. You know, sometimes you have to hit the low to pull that slingshot back as far as possible to let it soar. Retract, it's right. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? You know that I'll tell you, there's a lot of books that I've read on success. And I was thinking about this actually the other night. And I'm going to go back to the my original, original books that have really made the biggest impact on my life, okay? And the number one book that's really made the biggest impact on my life because I wouldn't even call it assertive person. I'm aggressive by nature because I was an athlete and the way we grew up, we were aggressive kids. So I had to work on me a lot and the way I talk to people and I'm still not perfect at it. I still make mistakes. I still have a sharp tongue sometimes and it's something I have to continually work at. So How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Mm. Carnegie is like an old school, original entrepreneur book. But man, that book, I listen to it once a year and it cleans me up. And I have to literally listen to it once a year because I'm that bad, you know, like <laughs> I have to clean my mouth up, my tongue up because I'm sharp to the tongue. I'm very straightforward with people, which is good in some ways and very bad in others. And especially in this day and age where people are hypersensitive, it's bad. Yeah. So I have to work hard at that. So that book really keeps me, it's my fine tuner. It keeps me tuned to like be aware of how I'm speaking to people, how I'm working with people or the lack thereof to continue helping me mentally. So it's my medication. It gives me my annual medication and keeping my brain right as to how I treat people and work with people. That's great. Yeah, definitely a classic. Awesome. It is. Our listeners haven't listened to that or read that book before. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I would like to learn how to be a little bit more patient. I think, I don't know if you learned that. I, it's a skill. <laughs> it, it, it is a skill for sure. I don't have a lot of patience. My whole joke behind that is I go, I'm not a physician. I don't need patience. I need things done. <laughs> That's what I was telling people. <laughs> so, so I drive things. You know, I know, you know, one of my business partners, Kyle Mitchell, and he goes, yeah, but you get things done. He tells me like that. And, and I go, I do get things done. 
So I think that's a skill that I still haven't mastered. I need to learn how to be more patient sometimes. I catch myself when I have a lot, the lack of patience, even with my kids and family sometimes. And then I go, okay, I'm, I'm pushing it. They're kids, right? So um, it's a skill that I still work on. And I've got to work a little harder at having a little bit more patience with people sometimes. I, I got to realize that they're not all Jerome Maldonado. They don't have the same drive. They're not driven and built in the same fashion. Yeah. So I... I have to remind myself that skill has to be practiced a little bit more so. Awesome. That's a very noble skill to have. And we all need work on that, everyone. Fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? Success is balance um, in more than one area. I talked to my son about this past week. He's doing really well in football and I'm proud of him. He's worked hard in gymnastics to really get himself where he needs to be as an athlete and as he moves into high school. And there's a lot going on in the mind of a young adult as well as ours and i try to what i'm trying to what i'm trying to do is take a young boy and raise him into a man not that i've done a perfect job at it but i work hard at it every day and i try to do better myself every day because i know i lack in different areas so success to me is finding balance with my family uh, finding balance with my wife finding balance with my children finding balance with my faith finding balance with my health, my fitness, and then finding balance with what drives us our time the most. And that's our work, right? And so uh, people talk about money and finances. We've had money and finances since 1998. We've done well. We've been blessed. We don't look at a bank account to buy a plane ticket. We don't look at a bank account to go to the grocery store. We don't look at a bank account to make a mortgage payment. We've been blessed in that way. But that's, in my opinion, the easy part of success, in all honesty. Making a living is not hard. Getting wealthy is hard, but getting making a living is not. Um, being successful in all of the areas in your life is hard. That's success. When you right. can find balance, balancing health and fitness, what you put in your mouth, what you drink, how you, your faith, how you treat people, how people perceive you, how your family perceives you, how your wife looks upon you, your husband looks upon you, what they think about you, what your kids think about you. That's important stuff. That's success. If you can balance all that and at the end of the day, feel gratified with the success that you've hit in all those areas. Yona, I think you're a pretty damn successful person. I think we all struggle in one of those areas at any given time of our lives. I think it's an ongoing, lifelong struggle. And if you can find balance in those areas, I think you're successful. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Totally agree with that. It's a refreshing perspective on it also because we get a little bit of a different answer from everyone on this show, but that I love your answer. So finally, Jerome, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want to? We're pretty easy to find. My name is here in the show the bottom of my photo, and it's Jerome Maldonado. You just Google me. I'm pretty much in every social media platform. Once you follow me, I'll probably find me more than you want to. <laughs> I'll probably be in your feed on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else more than you bargain for. And you can reach out to us on any of those social media platforms. We've got a full team that manages those. And if you need help and assistance with developing your real estate portfolio, either in the single family residential sector, all the way up into the big multifamily sector. We have an online presence and educational platform that we're happy to work with you guys on. And we're really, really easy to get in contact with. Thank you awesome. for asking, Yona. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you again for spending the time with us today. I know we had a little bit of technical difficulties at the beginning there, but I'm glad we got through that because this is this has been awesome. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to having you at a real estate domination, one of our events in November. So we're looking forward to, to you. I, I know that you bring a lot to the table and 
I know that you're always the host of the show and no one really gets to showcase your skills and expertise, but well-respected in my eyes, my friend. I respect what you've done and what you're doing. And I'm looking forward to having you as a guest and taking notes and in front of you on on our stage in uh, November in Las Vegas. So we're excited to have you. Appreciate it. And thank you again. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in once again. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.